This morning we're going to be reflecting on the Simeon song from Luke 2. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all the people a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Let's pray together. Father, as we've read throughout the Christmas story, Throughout the Advent season, we see all these characters, and all of them are being caught by perpetual amazement at what you have done. So, Father, we pray for that for our own hearts, that as we reflect on this Christmas story, maybe for the first time or maybe for the millionth time, that you would fill our hearts with amazement at the fact that you became a baby, a baby who was born to die, a baby who was born for us. Father, enter our hearts and enter our midst and help us to see your greatness this morning. In Christ's name, amen. If you've been with us uh, the past couple weeks, you know that we've been, we've been looking at, uh, through the Advent season, through the songs of Christmas. And these aren't the carols that we sing or that you hear in the shopping malls. They are the songs that were sung uh, by those that were most intimately involved in the Christmas story. Our, our series will climax really on, on Christmas Eve when we look at that amazing song, that short amazing song that was sung by the angels to the shepherd on the night in which Christ was born. But this morning we're going to look at, at Simeon's song, the song that, that we just read uh, from the second chapter of Luke. Now, Simeon's an interesting character. He's, a, he's someone we don't know much about. We know what the scriptures tell us, and this is really the only part of the scriptures that tell us about Simeon. And we know that he was a devout man. He was a, a righteous man. And for some reason, he had some sort of unique or special blessing. And his unique blessing was that it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he will not die until he, with his very own eyes, gets to behold the Savior of Israel. And our story picks up telling us that one day Simeon was, was in the temple, as was his custom to do often. He was a man who was devout and righteous, so he was often in the temple worshiping God. And this one day while he's in the temple doing what he normally does, he looks across the crowd and he sees Mary and Joseph, a very, very young couple, probably a couple uh, in their late teenage years, and they're holding a baby. And for instantly, his, his spirit within him was stirred because he knew, we don't know how, but he knew that this baby that was with them 
was the baby that had been promised. So he runs up to this couple, Mary and Joseph, who had been there just to to perform a customary rite of purification. And all of a sudden, they're there. And this stranger runs up to them and says, can I hold your baby? And in their surprise and shock, they give this baby to Simeon. And as Simeon holds this baby in his arms, he sings this song. And the song that he sings about is really all about this thing that we call peace. You know, the idea of peace is, is, a, is a concept. It's an idea that we talk about a lot throughout the Advent or Christmas season. In fact, that the second candle that we light during the Advent season is called the peace candle. And we sing lots of songs about peace, and we hear lots of songs about peace all throughout the Advent season. We've all heard the song, I've heard the bells on Christmas Day that talks about peace on earth and goodwill to men. We've seen David Bowie awkwardly sing with Bing Crosby on The Little Drummer Boy about the idea of peace. We've sang Hark the Herald Angels Sing that talk about peace on earth and mercy mild. Oh, Holy Night that talks about the gospel of peace and Silent Night that talks about sleeping in heavenly peace. So we talk a lot about peace throughout the Christmas season. But we all know from experience that we don't often live in a world that we would characterize as peaceful. Each year, Beck and I make an effort to to do some interesting things with our kids throughout the Advent season. And, And one of the things that we do is we try every Sunday, just like we do in church, we try every Sunday around our house to to, to light a, an Advent candle. And we try to, you know, read a Christmas story. And, and every year we, we kind of plan this out as a couple. And we think, about, we think about it in very sweet and very nostalgic terms. But the reality is often we get the kids together. And instead of being sweet and nostalgic, the kids are fighting. They're arguing with one another. And we very politely and kindly tell them to shut their mouths while we light the peace candle. That's how it works in our family, though we soldier on. But I was thinking that that often really becomes the reality of life for us as well. We have this concept of peace, this understanding of peace, but our experience in life is often very different. Because we live in a world where nations fight against one another and have throughout human history. We live in a city that is plagued with violence, a city that's plagued with gangs fighting against one another, with conflict all over the place. We have relationships in which we fight with our friends from time to time. We have family situations that we think would be perfect, but often lead to fights in different occasions. But yet there's something inside of us, though this is our reality, there's something inside of us that knows that this is not the way it's supposed to be. And because of that, each one of us deeply longs for peace. You know, the Hebrew nation that that forms a lot of the background of the ancient scriptures had had a very full idea of what peace is and was. They called it this thing called shalom. And one author defines shalom this way. He said, shalom is the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice and fulfillment and peace and delight. You see, an integral part of the Hebrew idea of human flourishing was this idea of peace. 
And that's really what Simeon's song is all about. And what he does in his song is he highlights and illustrates peace for us really in two very distinct ways. And the first way he highlights it for us is to help us to see that peace is really the absence, the, the, um, the absence of conflict. Peace is the absence of conflict. He says in verse 30, For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Whenever I think of, of peace in, in the midst of conflict, I think of a story I heard long ago, and I've probably told this story in church before, uh, but it's the story of, of what people call the Christmas truce of 1914. I don't know if you've ever heard this story before, but in 1914, uh, at least in Europe, uh, World War I was, was, was raging on. And by the end of World War I, it's estimated that over uh, 10 million people uh, had lost their lives through all of the fighting. But on Christmas Day in 1914, something really unique happened. The peace, a peace broke out really for one day, and it broke out along the Western Front, which was considered to be uh, the most deadly and, uh, and, and the place where most people lost their lives. But on Christmas morning on the Western Front, British soldiers were sitting in their trenches, and of course they were across the battlefield from the German forces that were sitting in their trenches as well. And the British soldiers recount uh, that as they were sitting there that morning, they began to hear the words of Silent Night from across the battlefield, sung by their German counterparts. And as they heard, these, uh, as they heard this song break out, they began to sing along with the Germans in their own language. So after a while, both sides are fighting, and then they both decide to, to come out of the trenches, and they begin to meet together on the battlefield. They begin to exchange gifts with one another. They, they play games with one another. They even attended the burial of other soldiers from the other side of the battle lines. Together they recited these words from Psalm 23, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For your rod and your staff comfort me. You see, it was a moment of some symbolic of peace in an otherwise brutal and incredibly violent war where millions of people lost their lives. But tragically, the next day, the flags went up and the fighting ensued just as it had done two days before. But for one day and for one moment, there was peace. They knew it was peace because it was a day where there was an absence of any fighting and the absence of any sort of conflict. But sadly, we know situations like that are unique because we live in a world that is marred with conflict. It is a world where conflict comes often, often in big ways, but often in little ways too. But whether it is a world war or a conflict with your spouse or with your friend, all conflicts ultimately stem from a deeper and a greater cosmic conflict. And that is the conflict or enmity that we all experience between ourselves and God. 
See, the gospel story tells us that God created the world initially, and he created the world in a, sta- in a state of peace. The scriptures tell us that there was harmony amongst the creation. There was harmony in the relationship between Adam and Eve, a marriage without any fighting whatsoever. There was perfect peace, and there was perfect harmony. And their relationship with God was one of perfect peace and harmony as well. The scriptures say that they would walk throughout the garden in the cool of the day and just speak and talk with God because all of creation was in perfect harmony and was in perfect shalom. But then, of course, we know, and Genesis 3 tells us, that everything changed. That Adam and Eve chose to to act out in rebellion, and in doing so, they disrupted the harmony. They violated the shalom that God had created. I heard someone once say that Adam and Eve's sin, and of course every sin that came after that, is really an act of humanity shaking their fist at God and saying, I no longer want to do it your way. Instead, I'm going to do it my own way. Sin, with what Adam and Eve did and what we do every day, is in effect declaring war against God the Most High. It's what Adam and Eve did, and it's what you and I do every day when we choose to live independently of God. And in so doing, their relationship with God was marred, just like our relationship with God is marred because of sin. Their relationship with creation was marred. Their relationship with each other was marred, and conflict was introduced, and harmony was disrupted. And the scriptures tell us that because of their sin and because of our sin, we become actual enemies of God. We become enemies who are unable to return ourselves to good graces with the Father. We're unable to recover the peace or the shalom that has been lost. But the Christmas story brings good news. Because the Christmas story tells us that Jesus came to bring us peace. He came to overcome the enmity between God and man, the enmity at which all other conflicts ultimately stem from. He came to reconcile man with God, the relationship that had become estranged. But that really wasn't the only peace that that Jesus came to bring. It wasn't the only aspect of peace that Simeon even highlighted in his song. He highlights another aspect in that he defines peace for us not just as the absence of conflict, but he defines peace as a tranquility of the soul. A tranquility of the soul. He says in verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. You see, Simeon had been given a promise, a very unique promise, and that promise was that that he would behold the Savior before he died or before he passed away. And that promise was now fulfilled as he held this baby in his hands. So as he sang this song, he reflected that now he could die. His life could end. He could pass away in peace. 
You know, I, many of you know that, that I uh, teach here at the university, and predominantly what I teach here at the university is nursing students or, or, or people that uh, have been nurses and are going back to school to get their bachelor's degree. And I have the privilege of teaching them religion, and I teach several courses in the program, but, but as any good teacher does, we, we try to bring up discussion, and we talk about their experiences and, and stories from their lives, and I'm always fascinated to hear the stories that, that they have uh, from careers of being nurses and serving people who are sick, people who are on their deathbed. And often you hear stories of, of, of patients who have incredible uh, courage and, and strength in the midst of knowing that their lives are about to die. But they also tell stories about people who, uh, at the moment right before they are about to die, are filled with unease and discomfort. And it's as if those stories really fall in two categories of amazing stories of people who face death with courage and those that face death with incredible fear and unease. You see, Simeon knew that with death approaching, he could now die with a soul that is at peace. But he understood that a peaceful soul is a byproduct. It's a byproduct of a heart that has been, and that has made peace with God most high. You see, man's rebellion didn't just introduce disharmony in our relationship with God, but it had all sorts of other costs associated with it as well. We are no longer in a right relationship with God. Instead, we become enemies. And, but it also meant that, that a just God had to punish the sin that had been committed. And this punishment would involve eternal death. It would involve eternal absence from the very presence of God. And it meant that our eternal punishment awaits us at the moment of our death. But instead of that, Simeon rejoiced. He rejoiced because he recognized that this baby that he was now holding in his arms had become the way of salvation. It had become the way that his soul could be made right before God. It had become the way that his soul could be freed from the condemnation that it so deserved because of sin. It was the way that his his tumultuous soul could find rest. Because he recognized that Jesus, this baby that he held, was the salvation that his heart so longed for. And he recognized that his tranquility of soul, that the tranquility of his soul could only come because this baby had arrived to make peace between God and man. The scriptures tell us in John 14 that Jesus said this. He said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. And then he said this. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You see, what Jesus was saying is that fear and anxiety characterize the hearts of those who have not found peace with God. But he said that peace, rest, and tranquility characterize those whose hearts have been reconciled 
to God. One of the most uh, famous men in church history um, who lived in the, uh, the first few early centuries after uh, Christ had lived was Augustine. If you ever read Augustine's story in church history, it, it really is an incredible and remarkable story. He, he writes about his story in a book called Confessions in which he kind of retells the, his own life story in the form of a prayer to God. But if you've ever read uh, the book Confessions, you'll know that, that the real hero of Augustine's story was his mother. His mother was named Monica, and she uh, was what one author said was the definition of a helicopter parent. She was really involved in his life, prayed for him earnestly all throughout his life that he would find a relationship with Jesus Christ. And she always prayed that before she died, she would at least know that her son was in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And eventually, Augustine is converted and, and Monica's prayers are answered. But later on in Augustine's book, Confessions, he talks, about, uh, he talks about a time where his mother became sick. It was known that she was about to die. So Augustine went and, and decided to spend some time uh, with his mother, Monica, before she died. And he recounts a story when he was meeting her. They all knew that she was about to die, and he was meeting with her for one of the last times. And he writes very vividly about a conversation that he had with her. It was a conversation in which they were all sitting at the window and they were in Italy, I think, looking out over a beautiful garden. A beautiful garden. And they prayed in the middle of this conversation that, that God would give them a, a taste of the fountain of life. And in that moment, God answered their prayers. Augustine said that in that moment, it was as if a drop from the fountain of life came in the midst of their conversation. And they had an incredible taste of heaven in that moment. And he said that in that moment, she no longer feared death anymore. And Augustine no longer feared death for his mother. Instead, an incredible peace and tranquility came over both of them. And of course, the book goes on to say just five days later, she caught a fever and she died. And what it reminds us is that Jesus comes to bring us peace. Not just peace that is an absence of conflict, but peace that character is characterized by a tranquility in our souls. The question then becomes, how did Jesus do this? How did this Christmas story or this gospel story, how does it tell us that, that Jesus accomplished this peace for us? How did, how did this happen? How did it work out that, that we were, could no longer be enemies of God? Instead, now we can be made at peace between God. Well, the Christmas story tells us and the gospel story tells us that this peace was secured through Christ. Through him giving of his life as a perfect sacrifice on our behalf. It tells us that our peace was accomplished because he willingly stepped into conflict. It says in verse 33, and his father and his mother marveled, Mary and Joseph marveled at what was being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to, to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through their own souls also. 
so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. You see, there's a, there's a foreshadowing element to what Simeon is saying to Mary and Joseph here in these words. Mary and Joseph, are, all throughout the story, are perpetually amazed at all that is happening. They can't believe this narrative that is playing out in front of them. But Simeon tells us that though Jesus is this incredible instrument of peace, that this baby will be an incredible instrument of peace, his life will be marred by conflict. He tells them that even their lives, even Mary and Joseph's life will experience pain as they watch their son be continually rejected. You see, Simeon says to them that their son will be very divisive. He says that their son will cause some to accept him and some to experience peace and some to experience the joy of the kingdom. But what he says is others will reject him. They won't just reject him with words, but they will reject him through incredible violence. And that actually his life will be characterized by pain and rejection. And that the road that he traveled will be a road of pain. But it was a road that he had to travel in order for you and I to experience peace. You know, Mary and Joseph, they were good Jews. They did all the things that they were supposed to do as good Jews and to raise this son in the Jewish faith. And one of the special practices that they would have to do after a birth is called this, this thing called the rite of purification. And in the rite of purification, they would have to go uh, into the temple and they would have to bring a lamb with them and they would have to, to slaughter that lamb. And they knew that when they slaughtered the lamb, it would be a symbol. And it would be a symbol of the fact that their sins would be covered. They would understand in their minds that the blood that was shed from that lamb would end up covering their sin. And that was part of the practices that they would have to engage them. But the scriptures tell us that Mary and Joseph were poor. They didn't have enough money for a lamb in order to make this sacrifice. So the law made special provisions for people who were poor. They could bring two turtle doves or two pigeons and those would be sacrificed instead. And that's why Mary and Joseph were in the temple when they met Simeon. They were in the temple to make a sacrifice so that their sins could be covered. Now we don't know if if Simeon perfectly understood everything was what, what was going on. And we don't know if Mary and Joseph really understood everything that was going on in this story. But what we do know now, what the gospel story tells us, is that the baby that they were holding in their arms that day would be the ultimate sacrifice for sin. He would be the only way for our sins to be covered. He would be the only way for salvation to be obtained. He would be the only way for ultimate peace with God to be accomplished. He would be the only way for us to experience peace and tranquility in our souls. The only way was for Jesus to step into the conflict himself. And to actually allow that conflict 
to overwhelm and consume him. Because the gospel story tells us that at the cross, he became the enemy of God so that you and I could experience peace with God. At the cross, he experienced anguish in his very soul so that you and I could experience tranquility in our souls. He experienced hell so that you and I wouldn't have to. He experienced the ultimate death so that you and I would no longer have to fear death. Whenever there's a conflict, we know that when a white flag is raised, it is a declaration of truce or it's a declaration of peace. Well, what we know from the gospel story is that peace with God was declared, not when a flag was raised, but when Christ himself was raised up on the cross. One of the images that you often see throughout the Christmas season and uh, it is the image of a lion and a lamb laying down next to one another. And I don't know if you've ever thought about that image before, but you see it often in, in lots of Christian images, whether it's on Christmas cards or in mangers or whatever it is. And of course, we all know intuitively that if you ever see a lion and a lamb out in the wild, that lamb probably doesn't have much long to live. But what that image is, is it is an image of peace. It's an image that's taken of Isaiah chapter 11. It's an image in which God communicates the peace that we have in a relationship with him. But that peace was only accomplished because Jesus himself, the Lamb of God, would suffer and die on our behalf. He has come into history in order to make a way of peace to make friends out of enemies, and to offer rest for our souls. My prayer for you, my prayer for me, my prayer for all of us is that this Christmas season, we would recognize and experience peace in our souls.